1: first lesson today comes from John's Gospel in the first chapter, beginning with the first verse. Listen now to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. The glory is of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I invite you to stand so that we may hear the reading of the second lesson.
0: This morning it comes from the third chapter of the second letter to Timothy in the New Testament, and I'll be reading beginning in verse 14 through verse 17. These are instructions that were written. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation, you have through Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Please be seated. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Either for yourself or to another. It is one of those little phrases that we create, one of those um, ways that we try to navigate difficult times. And while the meaning is good, we also know that words can hurt. Words may not break bones, but words can break spirits. And words are sometimes hard to hear. However, words also can provide hope, and they can provide life, and they can provide encouragement and goodness. And we look to a source of words where we can learn about the ways in which we are to live and how we might, in fact, not simply be saved, but how we might live in our salvation. And so we turn to the Word, what we call as religious people, as people of faith in Jesus. We turn to the Word. The Word is Scripture, and Scripture is a doorway. It It is a pathway that opens before us. It is a way of learning not simply about ourselves, but also about another time and another place and how God was known in that. And then there is also the Word, the Word that dwelt from the very beginning that was made flesh in Christ Jesus. We speak of it in two different ways, the Word of Scripture and the Word made flesh. We have the Word, and that Word is a Word of life and hope and fullness and goodness, and it speaks against words of death and horror and hurt. The symbol that we're looking at today is the book. If you look on the front of the bulletin, you will notice the seal of the Presbyterian Church and highlighted there is the book. It is an open book. It is a book that is open to our hearing, to our reading, to our learning. It is a book from which we derive power and life and goodness and words that speak to those things. And it is also a way of saying that there is the Word, the Word of Jesus Christ, God made flesh to live and dwell among us. The Bible is part of our doorway to understanding what that is like. If you've ever tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, you may have become a little bit disappointed or even disoriented early on. I know I have when I've tried to do that in the past because the Bible is unlike any other book. We talk about it having, uh, we talk about it being one book and then we refer to all of the different ones, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as being books in themselves. And they're different kinds of literary genres, different kinds of, of pieces that are put together, and they are bound together in one place, like this, or like this pulpit Bible up here. They are bound together and yet they have different ways of being understood. To read the Bible requires some degree of orientation. We need to have some frame of reference as to what we're looking at. If you've ever been in Birmingham, Alabama, you may understand this, but if you've never been to Birmingham, and you, get, you are given an address on Fifth Avenue North that you're going for, and you travel there, and you find yourself on Fifth Avenue South, and you think, oh, well." In a city like Birmingham, if they're north and south streets, then it must be that if I get on the south side and I go north, I will eventually get to Fifth Avenue North. No. (laughs) Ain't going to happen. Because in Birmingham, Alabama, the north and south does not mean that it is the same street and one end is on the north side and one end is on the south side. It means that the north avenue, is on the northern side of the demarcation line, which is the railroad. And the South Avenue is parallel to it. So there is no way, if you are on Fifth Avenue South in Birmingham and you want to get on Fifth Avenue North, there's no way by just simply staying on the same road, you've got to take another street across. You have to be oriented to what the geography is. And as we read the Scripture, as we study the Scripture, we need to be oriented to what that is and what that might involve. We read the Bible for devotion and for inspiration and for guidance. And we also read the Bible as a means of studying and learning about the nature of the human relationship with each other and with God. There are many ways in which we look and and seek and discern with that, and we need to do all of that. We need to trust the Bible and look to it for our devotional life, and we also need to look to it for a deeper understanding of how we are to relate to each other and to God. In our Presbyterian tradition, we refer to the Bible as a rule of faith and life. Now, to say a rule does not mean it is arbitrary and negative. It means that it is a way for us to understand. It is a framework that provides structure and guidance and life and, yes, even hope. At the same time, the Bible is not a textbook. It is not a book about geology or geography, and if you go looking for those sorts of things, as they might apply today, you will probably find yourself sorely disappointed. The purpose of Scripture is to talk about who God is, who we are as God's creation, and what the relationship between between God and humanity within the creation is. Sometimes words are used to describe the Bible as being inerrant or infallible, trying to hold it up as being without error in any form or fashion. I would suggest that that's not necessarily a useful way to think of the scripture. In fact, that term, inerrancy, has only been created within the last hundred and plus years. It's not something that the Bible itself claims for itself. Scripture simply tells the story, the story of faith, the story of God's creation, the story of God's children in Israel and how they had the hope for a Messiah, the story of how that Messiah came in Jesus and how the early Christians found their way. The words from the second letter to Timothy speak to that. What have you learned, and what have you believed, and where have you gotten from? You've gotten it from me, the the writer says, Peter says to Timothy. You've gotten it from me, trust who I am, and let us build a relationship. The Scripture is a story of trust. Who do you trust? Who do you trust in sharing that story? Can you trust the one who has shared the words of life and faith and hope with you? Can you share that with others as well? As part of our orientation, we need to remember that the Bible has 66 books in it, and we divide them into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, it speaks about the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, and how they came to being, the story of Exodus, and how they fled their captivity in, in Egypt by God's leading with Moses as their, as their uh, prophet in the front of them. It tells of how they were captured and sent away into captivity in Babylon and how they hoped for the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the one who would come. The New Testament is written in Greek, and it speaks of a time when Jesus came, the one whom we understand to be the fulfillment of that messianic hope and promise and how he lived and how he shared his ministry and what he did and how he died and how he was raised to new life, giving those early believers, those early followers, a way of having life together. And that is what those verses, those, those scriptures speak to us about. The Bible is a resource, a word that speaks to the word, or maybe you should say it's a bunch of words that speak to the word of Jesus, who is the purpose God revealed in Jesus, hope and goodness and life. There's some principles or guidelines we can use in looking at the Bible, as we listen to it, as we study it, as we seek to gain understanding from it. And the first is something that I've been saying in several different forms, but I'd, just to reiterate, Jesus is at the center of the Scripture. Jesus is at the center of the Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The second is that Scripture itself interprets Scripture. We may use various ways to understand it. The third guideline might be that the Holy Spirit guides us in our interpretation of Scripture and what it means. And we need not forget that there is a rule of love that Jesus shared with us, as well as a rule of faith that we have from living as a community of faith. Jesus is the center of the Scripture. The central affirmation of our, of our faith is, is that, the Word was made flesh to live and dwell among us. Not everyone agrees with that. There are plenty of people who are good people who do not hear in Scripture that affirmation. But as Christians, we are called to to listen to Scripture and to bear witness to the testimony that Jesus is Lord. A number of years ago, I was having lunch with a, a friend of mine. He is a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, and, and uh, we had worked together on some community projects, and we were beginning to engage in a conversation that ultimately led to a class. What's the difference between Jews and Christians? How are we different and how are we similar? We were having lunch one day, and, and I remember this so clearly. He looked at me square in the eyes and he said, "Joel." you don't have to worry about converting me. And I'm pretty sure I don't have to worry about converting you. But unless you say Jesus is Lord, nobody else is. I'm certainly not going to say that, he said. And it got me to thinking, yeah, not just as Joel as the preacher up here, but as Christians, we affirm that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the way by which... Christian people approach God. God was revealed in Jesus to share grace and glory and life. And scripture bears testimony to that. And we listen to that. If nobody else says Jesus is Lord, it's up to us. It's up to us. Our Presbyterian tradition holds that we are to take scripture seriously. It is not fantasy or allegory. It is not um, geology or geography, as I said. It is a way of revelation of God's divine story to humanity. And we look at it and we listen to it, not just in snippets and pieces, but the whole parts of it. The Westminster Confession of Faith said that all Scripture is not alike plain in themselves, in other words, Sometimes it gets kind of hard to understand. But the statement went on to say, regardless of your level of education, regardless of of even your level of comprehension, there is enough there for us to understand the basics of salvation, the basics of life, the basics of God's love that is made real to us. It's not a matter of having some sort of special knowledge or secret degree. It is a matter of growing persistently by God's Spirit to find what God is saying to you and to me in our own time and in our life together. And as we do that, we trust that God's Holy Spirit will be at work among us, directing us and shaping us And helping us figure things out because sometimes they do seem difficult. There's a verse in in the Sermon on the Mount, a place where Jesus is teaching. uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is just full, chock full of sayings about Jesus. And Matthew 5, 29 says, "'If your right eye causes you to sin, "'tear it out and throw it away.'" It is better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Hmm. Hmm. Is that to be understood literally? I would affirm that it is not. It is to be taken seriously, though. And when you look at the verses that are around it, which are teachings about adultery, Jesus is speaking about the emotional relationship that, Life can, that can be involved in a marriage relationship. And it's, it's not, adultery is not simply a physical act, Jesus is saying. There's an emotional side to it that can draw you in. And it requires partners to be thoughtful and to study themselves and to know themselves and to know God. We take Scripture seriously. Very, very seriously, though in cases such as this, we might not always take it literally. All scripture needs to be heard through the lenses of the great commandments. You remember the great commandments in different places in the gospels? Jesus was asked, What are the great commandments? On one occasion, A Pharisee, a scribe, a religious leader said, Jesus, what is the great commandment? And he said, you tell me what the law says. And the Pharisee quoted back to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Yes, yes. And then there's a second one, too. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the way Luke tells the story, he says, the man not to be upended, wanting to make a point further, said, "Well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus then tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, the one who came upon someone who was hurt and helped him, not because he was of the same tribe or the same grouping, but because he just did it. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, now tell me, Who is the neighbor here? Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan is not an actual story that was ripped from the headlines. It is a story. It is a powerful way for us to understand it, but we all understand it. We all get it. This is the way in which the rule of love is at work in our lives. We love God and we love our neighbor's And we love ourselves. And as we do that, we live through those important pieces of our life together. Likewise, for 2,000 years, Christians have been struggling with this stuff. We've been trying to figure out what does it mean to love God and what does it mean to love our neighbor. There are even a few conversations going on right now about the ways in which we are to relate to each other in the world. There is the rule of faith. We have the accumulated traditions of our uh, creeds and our confessions and our statements. They are statements of people in particular times trying to understand what it means to be a true and faithful disciple of Jesus, to serve God and to be empowered by God's Spirit. The Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed were early statements of those close to the time when Jesus lived and died. In the Reformation, you had the Westminster Confession of Faith and several others that we, that we hold to and we adhere to. In the 20th century, German, uh, Christians in Germany, during the 1930s, formulated the Barman Declaration. And Christians in South Africa, during the 1980s, created their own confession, the Belhar Confession as well. We struggle with what does it mean, and we look to that rule of faith, and so we use confessions in our worship service. Today we will use the Apostles' Creed to help us articulate through the generations what has been important, and we share that together. But no matter, no matter how we interpret things, no matter how we understand things, we also realize that God is at work, and sometimes people get things wrong, and sometimes even the churches get things wrong. Hallmark throughout the confessional tradition is to, uh, to realize that we have limitations and to acknowledge that maybe there are a few times that the church itself has been wrong. And we struggle with what that means and how we move forward with that, and yet we do not let the acknowledgement of our limitation mute our affirmation that God is love and that we are called by God to be God's people in the world. We find ways to do that. Karl Barth was arguably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. And some scholars say he was probably one of the most important theologians of the whole 20 centuries of the church that we've had to this point in time. He wrote a a series called Church Dogmatics, which was about church teachings. And it was very, very powerful and shaped generations of ministers and leaders and teachers within the church, not only in Europe, but around the world. In the 1960s, he, after he had retired, he was traveling around the United States doing a, a series of lectures and preaching engagements, and somebody asked him at one of his uh, events, they said, uh, Professor Barth, can you summarize quickly and succinctly the essence of your teaching? And he said, yes, without batting an eye. He says, yes, I can. I learned it at my mother's knee. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Barth believed because of the story of faith that he had learned and had been born witness to by that open book of Scripture. And Karl Barth believed because he had learned that from someone he trusted, someone who had taken him to church and to other places and who had opened the Scripture to him so that he could hear all of those human words. And through those human words, he could hear the Word of God made flesh to live and dwell among us. This week, here at church, we will be sharing vacation Bible school, where stories of the Bible will be shared and opened to the children who participate and to the adults who lead, because sometimes the best learning is done when you're a leader, you know. The Bible is opened in this place, and I pray that years from now, one of those children may be able to echo Carl Barth's sentiment that he learned or she learned about the Bible at Vacation Bible School because somebody cared enough to teach them that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Not simply the Bible, but the whole community of faith, the whole tradition of Christian life is about God's love that creates the world and allows us to live in it. We grow and we mature and we learn. That open book on the symbol, on the seal of the Presbyterian Church is a symbol for God's open love that comes to us. May we live in that openness and be receptive to God's Spirit so that we can encounter the Word made flesh, not only in the words that are on the page, but that are in the words of each and every one of you who is here. Thanks be to God. Amen.